0: Welcome to Warranton Bible Fellowship. Uh, today we're in part three of Betrayed and Denied, uh, this little series within Luke chapter twenty-two, and today we're going to be in verses fifty-four through sixty-three. And John is going to declare our truth for the day, which is sometimes the end is the beginning. Well, can this really be true? Well, let's go ahead and find out. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe and. Go ahead and comment in the comment section down below. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you. Okay, I'd like you to turn to Luke 22. We're going to be in in verses 53 through 62. And while you're turning, I I want to share with you one of the many times that I was fired from a job as I was beginning my career. Uh, So, you know, I've shared several uh, of these with you. Um, This one, I don't think you've heard before. Uh, I, I was, I was, I want to say I was unexpectedly fired, but I don't know that you can be expectantly fired. <laughs> uh, and I was working really hard at a fast food place, and there was this, this guy that was working there, really nice guy. Uh, and they, the, the company came in and just kind of blew me away one, one morning. And as I was walking out, he put his arm around my shoulder and he said, John, uh, Sometimes it seems like the end, when it's really just the beginning. Well, it didn't feel like a beginning to me. Uh, it, it, it was literally the fourth time I'd been fired from a job that I'd worked really hard on, and I walked out thinking, you know what am I doing wrong? I'm trying to drive home? How am I, how am I going to tell uh, I was dating Kelly at the time? How am I going to tell her I don't have a job? What am I going to say to my mom and dad? What am I, my friends and everything? And I just feeling like an utter failure. And, and so this thing echoes in my mind. Sometimes it seems like the end when it's really just the beginning. And that's, that's the truth that I want to share with you today. Sometimes the end is the beginning. Now, the last time we got together, we asked the question what happens when you know the end of the story? How do you react when you know the end of the story? We were in part two of a three part series. Uh, in Luke 22, part one showed us the power of prayer as Jesus prays in the garden. And we found out that the power of prayer is not always to get you out of a situation. Sometimes God blesses you by giving you the strength to get you through a situation. So the power of prayer can, can help us deal with the, the unexpected things that happen in life. Not to avoid them, but to come through them in a manner that honors God, in a manner that allows us to walk like godly people. Part 2 taught, spoke of the power of darkness and how it can turn men and women into monsters, even believers. And, and the way to avoid being controlled and manipulated by the power of darkness is to know the end of the story, to know the full counsel of Scripture, to know where all this is headed. And, you know, that, that's a pertinent message for today because look around here, we see a lot of chaos. can say, well, this is bad. Well, maybe it is. But you and I, as believers in Christ, as people who have confessed our sins and received Him as Lord and Savior, we know where it's going. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the Bible. So this week we're in part three of Betrayed and Denied. And after looking at the power of prayer and the power of darkness, we're going to see a powerless Peter. Now Peter's been a mainstay in in Luke's gospel so far. He's the leader. He's the strength of the group and everything. And this hour is about to change all that. So our passage is divided up into four sections. We've got three rejections and a remorse. The first rejection we'll see is in verses 54 through 57. The second rejection is verse 58. The third rejection is 59 and 60. And then we're going to see remorse in 61 through 63. So let's take a look at rejection number one. Now, the, the mob has shown up at the, at the garden. Uh, the confrontation occurs. Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, and, and that's really more significant than we thought. You know, the, uh, we spoke about that moment, the crucial moment in Jesus' history, probably the most crucial moment in his ministry up until this time, and how it's marked by violence, and how the most brutal violent act comes on behalf of the believers, not the mob. But there's even more going on here, because what we see is Peter's committed. He's passionate. He's for the Lord. He's willing to fight. But, but look what happens. Verse 54, "...then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance." Now, this is a good thing. Peter's following maybe not too terribly closely and maybe maybe peter is overthinking the situation now do you ever do that you ever look at the situation around you and start trying to figure out what might happen where's all this headed this could happen that could happen I, that, that's got to be what's going through peter's mind well ah, yeah i'm passionate and i i, I love the lord What's going to happen to me? Oh, this could happen. That could happen. So, he's following, but he's at a distance. And he's beginning to waver just a little bit. And what's happening in Peter's heart is what if. Now, is that a question for us? What if? I mean, isn't those the things that we worry over? What if this happened? What if that happened? I don't really know what's going on. Peter knows He's been told by Jesus Christ where all this is headed. But Peter's what ifing himself? And that always causes a problem because we start filling in blanks. The areas that we don't know, we start filling in. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this person reacts this way? What if that person does that? What if I what if I lose my job? What if I lose my house? What if, what if, what if God doesn't fulfill his promise to provide for me and protect me? What if I have trouble? All these things are going through Peter's mind. Now, it's not there in the text, but, I mean, we, we don't have to extrapolate too far, put ourselves in that situation. We'd probably be doing the same thing. See, that's what the power of darkness does to you. It, it causes doubt. It causes worry. And in our Luke narrative here, this is the hour that evil has its way. Jesus said, this is the hour of darkness. It's the way you have your way with us. It looks bad. It looks like the end. I mean, what if the guards have taken Jesus? Nothing's turned out the way we thought it is. There's very little what if this all turns out good. I know, I know what you're thinking. Oh, oh! It, don't worry, John. It's not the end. And, and you should be thinking that because you should know the rest of the story, the true end of the story. Peter, Peter knows it too. But now, see, now Peter has to live the end of the story. And that's the hard part. We all know in our heads where all this is going. We all know how it's going to end up. But the hard part is living it. How might this moment look if Peter not only knew the end, but decided to embrace it, decided to appropriate it into his life, decided to live through this dark moment as if what Jesus said was true? Would that have diffused worry? Would that have assuaged his doubt? Would that have made him more comfortable? What if Peter savored this moment instead of dreaded it? What if Peter went down on his knees and said, Lord, you said this would happen. I hoped it wouldn't, but it is, and I'm going to receive it for all that it is. What if we took every difficult situation in our lives, every trial that we came upon, and said, God, you promised me that this would be for my good and your glory, and I receive it, and I'm going to savor it rather than run from it or try to avoid from it. What if will kill you? And it should lead us to ask the question, what if I lived my life like I knew the end? Now, now we, know, we know that Peter's struggling with this because of what happens next. And it seems that he joins some of the crowd that are taking Jesus away. They go to the high priest's house. Verse 55, And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Now, this, this, this is a really bold move. I've told you before, uh, the, the Peter had had while they were on their own, he had professed all of this oh, oh i 'll go with you anywhere i 'll do anything uh, to this small group of believers he He promised his undying support for jesus christ but and then we see this then a servant girl she 's the doorkeeper at the gate she 's a servant of the high priest, seeing him as she sat as he sat in the light now you've got to remember. Now he's moved into the courtyard of his house. It's well lit. Everything else has happened in darkness, just lit by a few torches here and there. So seeing him as he sat in the light and, and looking closely at him said, this man was with them." The girl sees that it's Peter. She says he was with Jesus. Now there, look what happens. Verse 57, but he denied it. He denied it Then said, I don't know him. Two things happen here. First off, we we see this denial. No, 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 that wasn't me. And then we see the abandonment. It's not just, no, no, it wasn't me. It's like, I don't know him. And, And Peter's first denial, his first rejection distances him from Christ. You see how Luke was trying to show us that? at the beginning of the passage, following Christ at a distance. Close, but not so close that he can be implicated. What he vowed to do in private, he was unable to carry through in public. Oh, that Peter. Can't believe he did that isn't it hard sometimes to demonstrate our faith in public easy to do when we're amongst other believers not always so easy to do when we're at work when we're at school when we're out on the ball field when we're watching the news maybe that's rejection number one denies and creates distance between him and Jesus. Rejection number two, verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Again, there's nuance here that we need to pay attention to. Someone joins this girl in her accusation, but it's not just that Peter was with him this time. Now it is one of them. He is a disciple of Christ. And Peter now has the opportunity to speak up and go, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. But the public pressure is beginning to heat up. There's nasty things going on. Peter is wilting underneath the heat. He's trying to stay close to Jesus, but he wants to be incognito. If he had a a disguise, he would be wearing it. He doesn't want to be derided. He doesn't want to be treated maybe even worse by the crowd because he can see what's going on with Jesus. Jesus. Peter said, man, I am not. And so Peter's second rejection is an attempt to hide his identity as a believer. It's safer, less confrontational if they think I'm not associated. It's better for me to pretend I'm not a believer. Oh my gosh, it is so much easier for us to go along with the crowd than it is to demonstrate the fact that we're set apart. We're a royal priesthood. It's hard to act like it. Hard to embrace that. Rejection number three. And after an interval of about an hour, well, Peter's still there. I'll give him credit for this. This is one of the reasons why I think sometimes Peter gets a bad rap. I mean, he's just doing things that almost all of us would normally do regardless when we're in a tough situation. But he doesn't leave. He doesn't go and he doesn't run. He's there. Yeah, yeah, he's struggling, but he's there. He's clearly scared. He's afraid that they're going to take him too. But something deep down inside Peter compels him to be close to Jesus Christ compels him to know what's going on. That's the Spirit in us, brothers and sisters, drawing us to the Father. We have an advantage that Peter doesn't have. We have the Spirit living inside us. Peter's just before that period where the Spirit comes down and fills those who believe Jesus Christ. Doesn't give us superpowers. Doesn't make us able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Okay, But it draws us to the Father. It's that whisper inside that you should be closer to Jesus. You're all familiar with this. You hear it from time to time. You should be reading your Bible. You should speak up in love and mercy. Tell people about Jesus Christ. You should be closer to your Father in heaven. We hear it all the time. The question is whether or not we're going to listen to it. Peter's struggling with some of the same issues right now. And he's not doing a bad job, humanly speaking. So after interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, I'm sure that after an hour passed, Peter thought, okay, I'm through the hard part. I'll just stand over there in a the corner and hope nobody recognizes me. I need to know what's happening. So an hour passed, still another insisted saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. Now, there's, the general feeling is that, that they're able to recognize this because Peter has an accent. That may be true. But this accuser is even more insistent than the other two. He says, certainly. Look at the words that the accuser chooses here. Was also with him. You think back to chapter 22, verse 33, where Peter said, Lord, watch this, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. (laughs) Have you ever regretted saying something like that? it sounds pretty good when you're in the garden surrounded by your buds (laughs) it's not so good when you're standing in the courtyard and they're beating jesus they're beating your lord and savior and you're wondering what they're going to do to you peter said watch this man now to the jew in the first century this sounds a lot more harsh than it does to us today. Not nearly as gentle as it, as it sounds to us today. If you take a look at the phrasing in Matthew and in Luke, it's much stronger. And I'm going to give you the Kavakas paraphrase here. Peter's saying, what are you, stupid or something? You think I'm stupid too? And then he utters these words, I do not know what you're talking about. And Peter crumbles under the strain of the situation. His anger rises to the surface. He's going to defend himself by expressing his anger towards this accuser. That's never a good thing. And at that moment where Peter's anger has taken hold of him and he's done everything contrary to what he, he wanted to do, have you ever found yourself in one of those moments where you're so controlled by anger, so controlled by emotions that you know that you're going to say in just a few minutes, why did I do that? Peter's in one of those moments. And at that moment comes this sound. I'm sure to Peter sounded like the the sound of condemnation. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Ouch. It's just what Jesus said. You deny me three times. I was living in Orlando. I got a phone call from a guy that was really mad at me. And I couldn't figure out why he was mad. And he screamed in the phone, I'm coming over there now, bang! I'm sitting in my apartment and I'm what if (laughs) it? I'm trying to figure out, should I run? Should, should I leave? Should I stay here? What do I do? Are we going to fight? Are we going to argue? What's going to happen? And I waited about a half an hour. I lived over on the other side of Orlando. And then I heard, boom, boom, boom. I'm going to tell you something. My heart stopped. I was sure that by the end that I would open the door and the guy would be standing there with six other guys, guns, bats, knives, the whole thing. It was some guy trying to sell me something, <laughs> but that, that feeling, that feeling, that sound that that rang in my ears and said, "Condemnation is coming." Peter's in far worse situation than I was, and this is what happens to him. And and so look at the reaction in the remorse in verse sixty one, and the Lord at, at the sound of the of the crow the, of, of the the uh, the I'm sorry, the rooster. <laughs> the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus is being tortured. (laughs) He's being beaten and disgraced. And he stops in the middle of that and makes eye contact with Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. What happens in Peter's heart? Verse 62. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter is heartbroken he's defeated he's empty he's hopeless he's helpless he is totally powerless to do anything about his situation he can't even do the things that he wants to do much less the things he's afraid to do and it must feel for Peter like the end He was close to Jesus. He walked with him for three years. He was one of the closest of the disciples. He saw all the signs, all the wonders, all the miracles. He experienced all the teaching that Jesus so profoundly presented to those who followed him. And now, now he's betrayed him. It had to look like the end for him, regardless of what happened to Jesus. He's got nothing now. He's been associated with Jesus. They've identified him. And he's abandoned Jesus. He had to feel so alone. So we have three rejections one remorse. First rejection, he distances himself from Jesus. Second rejection, he, he's not a follower. That's not his identity. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. And the third one, he's angry at being associated with Jesus. Wow. And then we have this remorse, this heartbreak, and this failure. So, while it very likely felt like the end for Peter, you and I know it was just the beginning for Peter. These things needed to be flushed out of Peter. Peter. He needed refinement. He needed sanctification. Peter had some problems that he was dealing with, and and not the betrayal and everything, but it's the arrogance. It's the pride. It's the, no, Jesus, you don't have to go through that. Don't you worry. I'm here. I'll help you out. He's impulsive. He's always acting quickly. Frequently, he acts very well, but not always. And those are the things that God wanted from Peter. Peter. You can't defend me. You can't save me. Don't you understand? I sent my son to save you. In a lot of ways, Peter was acting pharisaical. Don't worry, Jesus. You don't have to go through any of that stuff. I'm here. So it was a beginning for Peter. Oh yes, it's the end of his pride. It's the end of his self-confidence. It's the end of his impulsiveness. Peter was hopeless unless the Lord does something to redeem him. And we know that's going to happen. We know that there are better days for Peter. We know it's coming. Peter doesn't know it yet. I thought that job I got fired from was the end of me. What am I going to do now? That guy that put his arm around my shoulder and said, sometimes the beginning is really, sometimes the end is really the beginning. I didn't realize it for, for many years until I looked back on him and realized he was a Christian. And as I walked out that door, he called after me. And he said, John, God's got better things for you. I'm like, huh. See, I didn't know the end of the story. But now we do. I mean, the better things that God had for me was Kelly and I got married, we moved to Virginia. You know where that ended up. Some of you are happy about that. (laughs) Peter was on the brink of a new beginning, but he had to realize that he couldn't do anything apart from Christ. First, he had to come to an end of himself. He had to see that happen. Before he could do what he was called to do, he had to come to an end of himself. What was he called to do? He was called to change the world. He was called to change the people around him. It's the same calling we have. There's nothing special about Peter. We're there as part of the body of Christ. It's the same calling you have. So we've seen this three-part series. We've seen the power of prayer. That it can get us through any situation that we encounter. We've seen the power of darkness, that it can be overwhelming, but it's never the end of the story for a believer. And then we've seen the powerless Peter. And the lesson for us in Peter is that not only in our powerlessness can we accomplish nothing, but we need the full strength of God running in us and through us to accomplish anything. we look back on the moment that we were saved we see that that's the end of us and the beginning of Christ in us the only question is whether or not we're going to walk in it whether or not we're going to embrace it and that that leads us right here today to this moment whether or not we're going to complain about the situation that we're in or embrace it Whether or not we're going to try and fix it, help God out, church is in trouble, country's not going the way I want it to, maybe church isn't going the way I want it to, let me help God out. Or we're going to embrace the moment, say, okay God, we're going to use what you gave us. We're going to eat everything on our plate because we know that you intend to nourish us and strengthen us. And we're going to embrace this moment for everything that it has because we know that you intend this for our good and your glory. And I don't want to miss any of it. Instead of standing off in a corner and pretending like I'm not part of the body of Christ, I want to be standing in the middle, proclaiming the gospel and the truth of the fact that you and I know the end of the story. The end of the story is glory for those who believe. and do not get any better than that.